I'm Kelly O'Hara. You're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. So don't keep me in suspense. What does he want from you? He must want something in return. All right. He would like you to bring his wife into society. He's tired of her being excluded. She's no more excluded than any one of a dozen women I can think of. She just isn't included. He's tired of it. What, what can I do? You overestimate my power. You mean you'd like me to try? Since you ask, I'd like us not to be paupers. I'd like us not to be dependent on your father's charity. I... I would like us to be ourselves again. Very well. If you insist. Thank you. And mind what you say about my father. Hey, Kelly, how are you? Hi, Michael. I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks so much for joining us. Sure. Tell us a little bit how you came to be cast as Aurora. Talk about the audition process a little bit. Sure. Sure. It was the fall of 2019, so before all of this world changed, um, that Bernie Telsey's office was holding auditions for this, and it was intriguing, to say the least. I mean, you know, everybody was trying to get uh, an audition, and um, they called me in for Aurora, and... uh, the, the thing I remember the most about it is that I think it went well. Michael Engler was in the room and they called me um, for a callback, but they said, unfortunately, your tape, something didn't work with the audio and we're going to have to have you come back in. And I was oh, no. so disappointed because you want that one good audition in, in, in person. But when I, when I went back in, I knew I was just going to be reading with a reader and Michael wouldn't be there. And, but anyway, it worked out and, um, and then we were set, you know, set in March to start filming. We did a table read in early March. And then by the next week, we were all sent home, you know, to shut down for the next two years, really. But thanks to them, we were back up and shooting by September of 20. That's crazy. What a, what a weird time to be taking on a new job. You know, there's so many stories like it. Since it was a pre-pandemic, I mean, I think there's a, this, there's so many Broadway actors and theater actors in the show. So I think there's probably this assumption that they were able to fill the cast because you know Broadway was dark that being the case or not was it comforting to you with such an extensive background in Broadway and opera and theater to see so many fellow stage actors in the show with you yeah I think for a couple of reasons I think it was it was the most familiar type of set I've ever been on the most comfortable and I think it was in large part because of all the people around me were people that I knew and loved and looked up to Uh, but also I think it was the type of work we were doing it seemed very uh of a theatrical nature, very things moved, you know, we, everybody was, was, uh, prepared. It, um, not that that's not the way that it is always, but I just felt like nobody wanted to waste any time. We were all sort of used to working a certain way where we came and it was a respectful set and, and it was inspiring really to watch people that I've, I've always held up as heroes right there in the room with me so intimately, you know? So it, the whole thing felt, felt, theatrical to me in some weird odd way even though we were with cameras you know it feels theatrical in in a way and and maybe it's because of the cast and and the talent that's there it's got to be the most tony 
nominated show ever put on television for a non-musical show anyway. What was, what was there about the show or the role or working with Julian or Michael? What, what really attracted you to the show? Well, I do. I do love the period. I, I mean, I love the I love a period piece, especially in that I, I do that a lot. You know, I um, I love going back into history. Uh, I immersed myself in, in books about the Gilded Age after I got the job. But also I was a fan of Downton Abbey. You know, I was a, a fan of that sort of serial drama sort of unfolding every, you know, different characters, different storylines kind of um, coming and going. Uh, I knew that that would be very interesting. And the the idea of a collaborative, sort of a large collaboration, a large ensemble piece like that really felt, again, I'm going to say it again, theatrical. Um, it didn't feel like such a solo job. It felt like we were going to be doing a lot of things uh, together and as a team. I just knew I was in good hands, you know, and I knew many of the cast members who were already cast and that was just gold to me as well. It just Christine Baranski, Cynthia Nixon, you know, it just felt, it felt wonderful. An actor question. Do you prepare for television roles different than you'd say for a Broadway role? Do you go into the backstory? Do you need to know Aurora's like ins and outs of her details? What's your process for preparing for a role like this? I mean, I think there's certain things where you could say you don't need to, but I certainly do because it's the way I know. It's the way I was taught and it's the way I prefer. I prefer to know Aurora's not necessarily a historical character. You know, like we do have Lady Astor, you know, a version sure, of that. We, right. we definitely have those characters, but Aurora is a combination of a lot of women of that time. And so I needed to know what that time was, how they how they would think, how they dressed, how they spoke, you know, what they were up against, what they were what the, con, you know, the confinements felt like in their, in their world. Not that they really realized that at the time, but the way I look at it now is what I can bring to it now. So to me, that that's an extraordinary part of, that's the indulgent part of this work is to actually get to know um, someone so that you can actually step into those shoes and make them really human. So you, you need to know about what they're, what they're going through so that you can uh, fill their shoes. So you know her probably best, uh, maybe other, except for maybe Julian and, and Michael Engler at this point. Who is Aurora? How do you describe her? If, if you were introducing her as a friend, how would you describe her to people? What does she think about this high society and its rules and its rituals? Because she's, she is not exactly, you know, by the book, the way some of the other characters are in line. I like that. And I'm pushing that. You know, here you say, I know her better, but or, as well as... The truth of it is, is in television, the difference there is that, you know, they put down for you a moment, but they don't put for you the journey. And in theater, we get the whole journey. And so we get to decide how to take that journey. Right now, I'm sort of at the behest of, of, you know, the creation that I don't know about yet. So, like, what will Aurora become? And I I know her as someone who is old money, um, brought up very properly. Um, She's of the Brooks and, you know... Livingston side. And, but there's a line that I really grabbed onto that Julian wrote, which is, does any of it matter anyway? You know, does any of it really matter is what the line is, excuse me. And I think that there's a part of her that, you know, keeping face, keeping in society, keeping financially stable, yes, is very important because in those days, what was the, what was the world outside that? I'm not even sure she's raised to know that, to know what, what the options are. However, there's something deep inside her that once given the opportunity to tiptoe, you know, across the, the, the way uh, is, is intriguing in a way to maybe sort of help to crash down some of those systems in a way. Um, that's, that's how I want to see her because I want to see the, you know, the growth in the character. 
Oh, and I, and I think that's coming through because we're going to air this as part of our episode four coverage. So we're going to talk a little about three and four now, because when, when the show begins, Aurora is really a duo with Anne Morris. I, I don't think you see them separately, Katie Finneran, who plays Anne Morris. But as the series goes on in episodes three and four, there's a little bit of a crack there. There's almost a parting of the ways. Anne is maybe out of favor. Aurora is kind of coming into her own, helping Bertha and Mary and come into society. Is is that a shift away from that we can expect to see? Is that is that part of your character's arc over the course of the season? I believe so. You know, I, I actually took every single thing where I could find where she might start to be different. You know, in the in, in episode one, you do see her alone. She actually risks going to oh, uh, that's right. her yeah. house by herself, even though she makes a huge mess of it. <laughs> She's um, rebuffed immediately. <laughs> immediately for saying the stupidest thing in the world, really. Right. Um, but we, we quickly see, yes, she has she was she is coerced in a way into doing such a you know a thing of bringing Bertha Russell into society, and yet she doesn't have that much trouble with it. And she also gets on very, very well with Marion Brooke, right. who is someone who has come to question the system. And there's something delightful to her about this young woman. In a way, you could say that maybe she had certain thoughts that she put away for a while. And, um, you know, now she's, an, she's a little bit older. And when she sees Marion and, and the way Marion thinks about why is this the way it is? Why does it have to be? Maybe she thinks to herself, uh, that's bubbling up in me again, too, you know. And so I hope going forward, Aurora Fain is someone who can be changed. Or be a and force for change, even. Well, and I was, that's why I said, and, and help, yeah. change, help make change, yeah. Coming out of two years of wearing sweatpants every day of my life, watching the costuming and, and just the aesthetics and the design on the show is just mind-blowing. Talk a little bit about, you may be used to it. Maybe it's not a big change for you because of Broadway costumes tend to be you know, elaborate, but talk a little bit about the costuming, getting dressed and laced up and, and that whole, does that help transport you into the character and into the world? Absolutely. I always sort of say costumes are my final collaborator, you know, especially a corseted woman, you know, that's talk about putting you into an era of confinement, of limitation, you know, uh, being in a corset and a hoop skirt and something that makes it difficult to go through doorways or use the bathroom or whatever you want to do you understand how a woman might have been seen and what, what she was expected to do with her physical person, you know, uh, stay put basically um, and stay proper and stay upright. That, that always helps. And these costumes in particular are just some of the most extraordinary things. I I've had wonderful costumes on Broadway. Catherine Zuber on Broadway is, is the absolute best attention to every detail. But you know, when you have a budget, you know, for like we do on the Gilded Age to go even further with these European fabrics, bricks and jewels and and just soup to nuts it's just the the highest quality kasha her creativity is so out of this world and what i noticed right away was how she makes the fashion for bertha just a tad more forward um forward you know forward thinking she just puts her in the fold and she she puts her forward a few years you know and it's and it's all on purpose and i think people that that don't care to pay attention wouldn't notice but you can really see how every person has their own, just like we do in real life. You know, I remember there being this big conversation about Katie Finneran and I being together there in the beginning. One was in florals, one was in stripes, one was angular. Mm-hmm. And at first I had the stripes and she had the florals. And I remember Kasha said, switch them. You know, Aurora's got the florals. Katie is angular and stripes, you know, because her storyline is that. And um, and it's all very, very 
specifically thought out and on purpose. Uh, my co-host, she's, she's the fashion one, really, to be talking to, but she couldn't be here. But she made the point to note that Marion is in all these pastels and these lots of yellows and light yellows, and she's new to the world. And then you have, you know, Christine Baranski, you have Agnes, and, and they're in the darker and they're in the jewel tones. And it, the, the clothing really does mark your status and your position and, and says where you are in society. It's, a, it's an interesting thing if you're clued into it. You know, we're such fans of your vocal work. I, I think I saw you for the first time in Light in the Piazza way back in 2005, maybe. I, I saw you. Um, are we going to get to see Aurora sing? Is there a chance maybe Clara Barton throws a Red Cross charity where, you know, Dorothy Scott comes on down and, you know, that's, you guys all. That's an amazing thought. And, and, you know, I think there are a lot of people are asking that question. I can't see a world in which that happens unless it's in some sort of dream sequence, but. It's uh, right there, Kelly. It's right. It's right, right there. there. <laughs> it's right there. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't see it happening, but we'll, you know, you never say never. <laughs> let's have a little fun if aurora woke up in 2022 she woke up she's transported this time what do you think she's watching listening to how is she spending her time in the modern age oh what a good question i mean she's definitely watching the gilded age <laughs> <laughs> right it reminds me of home it reminds me of home somehow um but she you know maybe she's watching bridgerton too uh, down abbey she's catching up yeah, on down abbey she's you know. catching up on down abbey but maybe she's also watching succession you know she's getting a little um there's a there's a there's a father thing going on with aurora and finance and finance and money and she's a she's money hungry so right. there's some of that too so maybe she's watching succession she's a, she's a complicated character because again and as the episodes have gone on it's hard to say, is she a fortune hunter? Fortune hunting is a big thing, right? Everyone is so motivated by money in the show, but there is a part of her that does seem to have a genuine heart. Like, if not for maybe a fear of Agnes Van Ryan, her aunt in the show, and, and Mrs. Astor, she would be more bold and forward. When you're on the reading the words on the page, do you see that conflict in her? The, the struggle of wanting to, knowing she has to hunt for money, her and her husband, they have to maintain their wealth but also like the pitfalls that it brings and the, the way that they have to live their life because of that. One of the things that I really immediately clocked was that her money is her money. It's not her husband's money. She didn't marry for money. It's her father's money. And right. so she says to him, he says, I don't want us to be paupers. I don't want us to be looking to your dad to right. help us. So in a way, she's not worried so much about money. And I think she takes this on because I think that she's protecting her husband and his standing, like she always has. Right. Well, um, she sees what happens with Patrick Morris. I mean, exactly. I mean it's but also, a thin line. Also protecting his his stature because he's my husband. He's married to me. So I'm, I'm protecting him. But I also think she's, I do think that she has a heart. And I do think that she has been moved to, um, not only because she's been uh, almost blackmailed, but also because I think she's curious. I think she's curious in something that's different. And it's because she hasn't been necessarily needy to be a part of society. She was born into it. And now she's, um, she looks further because that hasn't been something she's had to like fight for. So now she has other, you know, other uh, interests. Uh, our, our listeners love behind the scenes information. They, they like to kind of have the velvet rope pulled back a little bit. Is there, is there a particular moment or memory from the set or filming that stands out to you that you kind of keep with you uh, since the show wrapped? Well, I will say there was one afternoon, about a 16 hour day when we, we were all waiting around a long time. There was a lot of uh, choreography to, um, to get in place before we could make this particular shot. 
and we all got so bored and we're all uh, theater people that we put on the music and, and did a fashion show catwalk. <laughs> and that includes everybody from Donna Murphy to Nathan Lane to Gary Coon, everybody. So we were having a lot of fun uh, off camera and on. Um, a lot of hijinks were going on. So all the proper... You're you're in that proper mode for so long that we 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 uh, struck out when when the when the cut happened we went went wild sometimes. Uh, have you been to any Broadway shows since theater reopened? Yes, I saw um, Company. And so did I. It was excellent. Yeah, excellent. Um, I saw a couple of off. I saw um, Kimberly Akimbo. I saw right when Broadway opened. I saw Passover. So I've I've seen a couple of things. I had tickets to a couple of things that then just closed overnight, like Assassins and, and, um, and the Alanis Morissette musical. Uh, that uh, I Jagged really, Little Pill. Jagged Little Pill that I just, I was devastated. I mean, not, I, not for me necessarily. I wanted to see it, of course, but I was devastated right. because I don't know how to close a show without closure. I don't know how these, these, yeah. these actors are doing it. So that's been a tough time for a lot of people, but I, I can plan to see a lot more. Uh, I mean, company in particular, just because they had just started previews when they had to close and then start back up. So I saw it right before it came out of previews. Uh, Claiborne Elder, right? Playing John Adams is yeah, is in yeah. it. So that, yeah. uh, is there a return to theater in your future? I know you've been doing TV. I want to talk a little bit of Accidental Wolf when we have in a second. But is there a return to theater or the opera stage for you coming up that, yeah, that you're yeah. thinking about? Um, oh, I should say, I also saw, I took the kids to see Ms. Doubtfire. We had a great time. Nice, um, nice. I um, yes, I'm, I've been working for actually a few years on a new musical with uh, the writers of Piazza, Adam Gettle and Craig Lucas, um, based on Days of Wine and Roses, the film okay. uh, with Jack Lemmon and Lee Remick. Very dark, uh, but really wonderful, interesting piece. And th- th- we'll see what that happens with that theatrically. But I am working right now on um, a brand new opera based on The Hours, Michael Cunningham's The Hours, um, starring. Renee Fleming and Joyce DiDonato and myself, and that'll be at the Met in the fall. You made a move to opera in a pretty conscious kind of way. Was that just because you needed to challenge yourself and, and take your career to the next level? Was, was it a big change? It's a huge change. And I don't, you know, I think people, you make one decision even to do a television show and people say, oh, don't stop doing musicals. You know, that's not how I look at it at all. I don't, I don't want to go have an opera career. Right. But I did get my my beginnings are in opera. I got my degree in opera and it's, it's the way that I like to challenge my voice. And, um, and when I have the opportunity to sing at the Met, I mean, I'm not going to shun that. I, I, it, it makes me work hard. It makes me get back in shape vocally. I'm really excited. It's, it's scary. It's all, all three times, all, the last two and this one, they're scary as all get out, but it, it is one of those things that I want to keep doing to myself to keep myself learning and growing. So yeah, I, I love, to do a film or a TV and then to do a Broadway musical and then to do some opera. And I don't think of them as a performer, as choosing one genre over the other. I think of them as making myself more well-rounded if I can, you know, if I'm allowed to. Tools in the toolbox. Uh, it's funny because you're doing at the Met and obviously Aurora is pro Academy of Music. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just going full circle on the history. Tell us a little bit about The Accidental Wolf. Uh, this is a show that earned you a, an Emmy nomination. Your, your lead just got renewed for season three. Season two has just come out. Like, tell us a little bit about the show that people maybe uh, don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think people, a lot of people don't don't know the show because it's come out in, in weird chunks. You know, we released it as a web series. It got acquired by Topic. We're so glad. And then we've released season two and we've really almost completed season three um, that'll come out in the summer or fall. It's 
it's been one of the most rewarding things. And I think things happen, you know, they lead to other things. You know, I, I started working on that project with Arian Moyed. He and I did King Lear together at the public and he wrote this thing for me. And just to tell you how long ago, I, the baby in the pilot episode was my child who's now eight and I was nursing her. So that's how long I've been wow. working on this project. But as I've been working on it through my Broadway shows and on my off days and, you know, whatever, um, I've learned about lenses. I've learned how to be on set, you know, so it's been my education and, and he's one of my dearest friends. And so that, that collaboration has been huge for me. And, you know, I think that we've beat the Gilded Age with the amount of Tony nominated or winners in a show. <laughs> the three seasons, we have almost 200. So it's uh, nominations total. So like over uh, like a hundred and something. So I wow. talk about being in rooms with people and you're just, you know, you're learning every single day. It's been, it's like, I've gone back to grad school and a doctoral program and um, I, I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful that you have this modern piece and this period piece at the same time for me, because I think that's hard to do in this business, you know, to show different sides of yourself. And so we, we premiered season two and Michael Engler uh, of the Gilded Age was so sweet to come see it, you know, and, and it's, it, it's nice to have those two worlds happening at the same time. Before we let you go, Gilded Age is just the first episode's come out. Episode two is coming out a couple of days after we record this. What's the elevator pitch? What, what do you want people to take away from the show or how are you pitching the show to people to get them to watch it? Mm. Well, the easy pitch is, did you like Downton Abbey? <laughs> right. The, the more fun pitch is, the Gilded Age was a complicated time. Are we getting back to it right now? Right. That's tough to think about. Go watch the Gilded Age and see what you think. If you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. So it makes sense. If people want to follow you on social media, Kelly, where should they find you? What's the best place to interact with you? On Twitter and Instagram, both Kelly O'Hara, just okay. K-E-L-I-O-H-A-R-A. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you can find me there and I, I keep it keep it up as well as I can. Thank you so much. You are excellent. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.